UX Podcast Episode 184. So we talk about ethics in design all the time, but we're not actually bound by it. Doctors are, and that's because doctors can do harm in a way that other people can't. And if there's no code of ethics that holds you accountable for doing that ill, you can do it again. Welcome to UX Podcast. Recorded for you here in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm a Pat Axpole. With listeners in 175 countries, from Monaco to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> I don't know why I found that, find that funny. I do. Um, today, we are talking to Zoe Rose, an experienced UX designer, working with information architecture, content design, and educational technologies, and also very knowledgeable within the subject area of accreditation. She has worked for the BBC, PwC and has just started working for General Assembly. In this interview, she shares more on the importance of accreditation and the complexity of going down this perhaps inevitable road. Zoe, we're sitting down with you today to talk about the amazing uh, Medium article, actually. That was what triggered it for me uh, when you wrote about people defining you as a designer and you don't know really how that happened. And then you talked about ethics and wandered into accreditation. And that seems to be a topic that a lot of UXers are sort of thinking about these days. And you hear people saying that we should have an accreditation body. And people say, well, that's not possible because design and UX, it's so broad. It's just no way it's going to happen. Uh, how did you start thinking about this? I've actually been thinking about and around qualifications and accreditation for years in different contexts. So when I was working for the BBC, I did some work for them designing an ontology of the concepts around curriculum and also another one around the concepts around qualifications. What makes a qualification, who gets to bestow a qualification, what value can a qualification have? A lot of my career has also been spent doing work in and around uh, higher and further education, where the idea of what makes a qualification uh, and how valuable is it to the people who get it and the people who perceive it is really a critical issue and one which is changing very much uh, as the market for very large degrees like arts degrees gets a little bit smaller and interest in micro-credentials and lifelong learning increases. Oh, that's fascinating that you did the research with the BBC. Mm. But there's a difference there, isn't there, of course, between qualifications and accreditation. Mm. I mean, what, what, what drives qualifications? Qualifications have to represent a couple of things. So you, you're talking for the most part usually about competencies. Now, competencies reflect something that a person can do. A very closely related concept to that is the learning outcome, which is similar to a competency, but is more measurable. So uh, a competency might be that uh, a designer can create a persona. A learning outcome might be a designer can create a persona that accurately reflects uh, the demographics of the user population. So it's the difference between measurability and non-measurability. To be fair, they are often and in fact increasingly used interchangeably. But when you're giving out a qualification, you're either saying that a person knows a thing 
are so for example I could get a scouting badge that would say I knew all the capitals of the world or you're saying that a person can do a thing they are competent in a thing I get a scouting badge that says I can safely light a fire okay yeah good so then then we've yeah so you're getting you're getting proof that you've learned something you've yeah we have accredi- you've got the knowledge but then mm. accreditation when we start looking at that side of things what's what's the difference between qualifications and accreditation well i think it's a fairly fine line i mean uh, accreditation as i've usually seen it used uh, is more closely aligned to that competency area of people being able to do a thing. So that's much closer to what we're doing in UX, where we're not really interested in whether you know what uh, an affinity map is. We're interested in can you make one and will it be useful? Right. And who is the one then who will give out the accreditation? Ah, oh, see, now that is actually, the, that's, there it is. There's the critical issue. So the, the thing about uh, qualifications, accreditations, anything that is a, a standardized statement of what a person knows or knows how to do, there's one defining attribute there, which is that it has to be admitted by a body. So that's something you really cannot get around. And the value that the accreditation has only it it only has as much value as the accrediting body has. So, for example, if I wanted to declare myself to be a naturopath, which I can do in Australia with absolutely no knowledge whatsoever, I could go down to, you know, uh, the dinky naturopath shack and they'll give me some kind of certificate uh, for money with no questions asked. Now, does that mean it has any value? No, it doesn't. So the value of a qualification is explicitly connected to uh, the reputation of the administering body. So fundamentally, what we're talking about here is a trust relationship. You're talking about one body that has the... uh, there's a word for this and I've forgotten what it is. One body that has the ability to say, yes, people meet the standard, saying this person is within my, my, it's a, it's a trickle down effect of trust. So you've got a trusted body saying this person is trusted by me. If the body isn't trusted, then the uh, qualification isn't trusted. This gets very difficult, of course, in emerging areas, of emerging disciplines, emerging areas, areas where uh, people aren't sure what counts as a good qualification or not. In Australia, a really classic area for this is uh, counselling and and psychological services to help you because not everybody can call themselves a psychologist, but basically anybody can call themselves a counsellor. So you don't necessarily know, as someone who's looking for psychological help, whether the person who you're approaching is really worth anything or not. So I can relate to that Mm. uh, quite a lot because Mm. I am uh, an accredited coach, but anybody can call themselves a coach. Mm. And the body that accredited me is the International Coach Federation, of course. Mm. But not a lot of people know about that. So that's mostly for me myself to actually feel uh, that I'm uh, feel safe to, to give coaching to people based on something that any, somebody else has taught me. Uh, 
so so that's going down to what mm. Zoe said about the trust that yeah, that's that exactly. you mm. you trust that international body right. to give mm. accreditation, mm. but your coaching clients mm. maybe have no trust for that whatsoever. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Yes. And if your international mm. coaching yeah. federation had a very nice looking website that that was beautifully mm. built by, for example, a UX designer who was good at their job, I as mm. a consumer could you know it, it might actually have no value at all but if it looks nice i could be fooled by it it's all true mm. yeah <laughs> yes, that's sadly how it works mm. and we know it yeah mm. i could be the person behind it you really could so we, yeah. <laughs> yeah so this is i mean this, this comes into some of these really fundamental problems we have with this for about a year ago we had a per and i had a chat with um um susan and guthrie um uh, Weinschenk. Well, it was, it was psychology and the use of, of, um, of behavioral psychology in, in web design. But at the end of the interview, off mic, we talked about um, um, accreditation and, and uh, professional bodies. One, one of the, the, the sad conclusions we came to during our little conversation was in, in other industries, such as um, doctors, architecture, and so medicine, architecture, and, and, and so on, that historically these industries got their accreditation bodies or got laws demanding that you be accredited after they'd reached crisis point mm. when bad things enough bad things had happened how do we how do we get um, accreditation going in our industry there's something implicit in what you just said there about bad things happening uh and that is that the bad things are happening to people who aren't us Right. So if an architect builds a house that falls down, it's not the architect who gets crushed. If a doctor gives bad medical advice, it's not the doctor whose leg gets removed. So part of this, I think, has to do with external public perception of design, its role in the broader community. At the moment, people don't really know what we do. There's a vague idea out there that we do things, uh, well, to the extent that people know what designers do, they know they do visuals. I know that my mother has uh, an idea that the people in Facebook look at brainwave scans to find out when dopamine receptors are being hit, but she's not at all sure about what I do. (laughs) She's not sure about that at all. So. There's not, I think, in design going to be the same public pressure on us as an industry as has historically happened to those other industries because if the doctor fails and you lose your leg, you're sure it's the doctor's fault or you're fairly confident. If something odd happens to you on the internet, it's quite difficult to tie that back to a designer. So I think that the impetus here will have to come from internally. Having said that, to the extent that people know what we do, they think of us as really engaging in a lot of dark patterns. So if you ask your, well, my mum's a very good example. If you ask your cousin or your brother or, or anyone like that, the little that they know about uh, how usability is organized around the website is to do with uh, addictive design, persuasion design, people doing things that will trick you into using services. That's largely, I think, what people who know anything about what we do think we do. So we, there is kind of a credibility problem bubbling up around that. I think the, uh, I, yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, and uh, my perception, though, as well, is um, the media, when they're talking about issues surrounding this, focus a lot on 
the algorithm the the, the yeah. kind of programming aspect of of yeah. um, web services or digital services and that we we get bundled in with with the kind of IT crowd yeah <laughs> and 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 the focus that the discontent feels as if it's mm. m moving towards the the IT crowd mm. and it's not moving towards us even mm. though like you said dark patterns are the thing that maybe people would um, notice and complain about the usability mm. aspects of what we do is what people would react to I think the question that we might have to eventually answer as an industry is do we want to dodge that bullet you know if we can get away with doing whatever we like and the broader community of our users who are the only people we're really eventually working for don't realize it's us we can probably get by under the radar should we though I don't necessarily think that we should uh, it's worth pointing out, though, that if we do become a profession that uses accreditation, it will not necessarily be fun for us. In fact, it will definitely not be fun. There will be bureaucracy. There will be controversy. There will be really slow-moving mechanisms. We can expect, for example, that um, uh, if you were writing a full curriculum today, it would probably have personas on it. But we all know that personas are really kind of moving out of the field of tools that, that designers use on a day-to-day -day basis. If you end up with a curriculum that has personas in it, how long are they going to persist? Will we be sitting here in 2027 having an argument about whether they finally need to be taken out or not? We almost certainly will. So there's a lot of hassle involved with accreditation. It will be better, I think, for our employers and definitely for our users. But for us as designers, there's a lot of downsides. Mm -hmm. But then with, with licensing, so mm. go back to doctors, for example, mm. Um, once you've got your license in, mm. in most countries, is my understanding, you don't lose it unless you've been caught doing something bad. In Australia, that's different. Australia and I quite possibly Sweden as well, I don't know. One of the mandatory things that a GP has to do is actually ongoing training. And there are a lot of professions where that is a requirement of continued membership of the professional association. Uh, teaching is another one. It's a demonstration of continued learning. It might be through this a might form. Be my, yeah. This might be my ignorance to the whole of these. <laughs> I'm, I'm not yeah. a teacher, mm. dentist, doctor or so on. So mm. you're probably right. I'm, I shouldn't have said most when I said Oh, no, no, no. But it's, it's interesting <laughs> and useful for us because if we did have an accreditation process and it was a good one, uh, it should, and I think probably will, contain uh, an ongoing learning process. At the moment, UX design is quite a young profession. There's not that many of us who've been in the game for 30 years because it's not really 30 years old. But mm. if you can imagine a designer who stopped learning today and was still practicing 10 years for now, would you want to be working with them? Uh, no, probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, 10 years ago, the things that we were designing mm. for and the tools we we're using are not the same as today because yeah. we're yeah. in such a young industry still. Absolutely. And we're moving uh, to a, what would you call a more, a screen optional environment where we're moving further and further into design environments, which are not screen based. So if all your skills are screen oriented and you don't do any professional learning or development over the next five years, and somebody hires you to do a chat interaction, you know, you're probably going to struggle with that. 
Yeah. Exactly. We've mm. got voice. We've got yeah. We've got chat or, or, mm. or bots mm. um, as well as a screen. Mm. Um, mm. Or, or the interface isn't always the screen. So mm. yes, it's it's a the design. Our design, the 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 width of our design world mm. is um, broadening yeah. and and eating up more of mm. the traditional design world. Mm. Exactly. I think so. There is one uh, potential mechanism for a workaround here. So a full accreditation is really a statement of soup to nuts where you that I'm sorry that's a that's a very very English language expression um it's you know <laughs> top to tail uh start to finish we want to talk about all the competencies so uh for example I know that um Jared Spool at Center Center they've just developed a, a full curriculum for what they think a beginning UX designer should know and they've got in place uh, I think like 30 areas that they think people should know in and they've got like a, a list of competencies for each of those areas uh, I I've think just, it's like yeah. 120 competencies yeah, they have across those uh, modules it's so many uh, it's abs mm. it's absolutely loads and you know what I've, I've got to respect it's a big issue it's a big effort that that's gone into that Externs, but that would provide you with what I would call more of a macro credential like a, a very wide statement. There's also an emerging branch of practice in higher and further education, which is the micro-credential, uh, which is effectively saying that I can do this one thing. So you might get a credential just in, say, uh, usability research. So we're not saying that you can do uh, anything around uh, prototyping or anything like that. We're just saying we, you can do usability research. So there is a, a model, a potential model, which is more of a patchwork quilt rather than a great big statement. It hasn't been done before, but we're innovators. We do interesting new things. <laughs> There's room. Mm. <laughs> when, and I hear people say that, but that doesn't sound like innovation to me. That sounds mm. like you're specializing and limiting what I can offer and, and bring to the table. <laughs> mm. But at the same time, if as uh, someone who is looking to hire a designer and what you really wanted was somebody with very high research skills and they had a qualification saying they literally had very high research skills, would that not do the job? Oh, I think we're... Yeah. Depends on if you're mm. looking for a cross-functional team where you want mm. that person to be able to contribute in other areas as mm. well. Mm. Uh, so, so, yes, it's, it's so tough. Mm. But I think, I think it's worth... I, I, I'd like to make the analogy with architecture again because, you know, whether you're ordering, um, you know, an extension to your, your home or whether you're ordering um, designs for... Um, uh, an office block that's going to hold 3,000 uh, members of staff, you're, you're still going to employ an architect. Yes. And the, the, the specialization at the point of, of you know, when, you, when, you, when the need bubbles up, you know you need an architect. Mm. And, and then it's the architect then who solves the, the, the kind of manning issues behind the scenes of, mm. okay, maybe we need research, maybe we need to do this, we need to bring that competency in and so on. Right. Whereas I think one of the, one of the big problems we face is 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 that thing of when do I need an architect? As in when when do I need and then a designer or a UXer or a UX researcher? It, it's still so complicated for and, and so varied um, mm. for the people out there with the needs to understand what they need. You said oh you, you you're looking to hire a researcher, um, and that that reflects someone who's worked in large organisations. 
Mm. If you if you worked in smaller organizations, uh, then you would you would never cross your mind to 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 bring in a UX researcher. Yes, yes, I, I think there's a lot to that. So, but my question, if I can put it back to you, James, is okay. what you're discussing there is that a knowledge? Is that a need for accreditation on the part of the designer, or is that a need for internal training on the part of the person who needs to know if they need a designer? I think it's a. Mm. I think if if we think about how architecture has maybe developed over hundreds of, of years, it is kind of a dance there, isn't there, between between mm. the people who are learning the trade and the people who are purchasing the services. Mm. Mm. And and it's almost like a it's it's almost like a binary star system. You've got these two massive objects circling around each other, mm. and and eventually they're going to crash together and merge but but you can spend you know m- millennia circling around each other <laughs> trying to work out what the other one means and yeah. and i think and i think that's kind of where we are that that mm. you know we've got we're spinning around trying to work out what we are at the same time the world out there is spinning around trying to understand what they will need to make successful services and business and so on mm. and we keep getting close to each other and spinning around and we're getting maybe a bit closer but i, I think it takes I think it's going to take a long time for us to to hit that bliss point. Oh, it's a lovely analogy because you've got yeah the the, the forces of gravity pulling you together, but the centrifugal forces throwing you apart. Uh, the one that I actually think of is uh, writing a will. So I tried to write a will because it's a very easy thing to do. It's a very standard legal document. No problems there. I looked it up on the internet. I had a bit of a poke around. I had a start. I realized there was a complexity. I looked a bit further. You know, I lost two days work on that will before I realized I needed a professional, which I did. There was no way for me to do it myself, but I I didn't have the knowledge to know I needed a professional before I'd already lost the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how to square the circle of educating uh, our collaborators, be they our users or the people who are hiring us to improve their businesses and communicating successfully what we do through standardized practice. Mm. I don't know if those twin stars are coming any closer. What do we do in the meantime? If we're agreeing that the, the future is mm. accreditation mm. or licensing mm. and there are a series of steps that have to happen to get there and we're not even sure if some of those steps are immediately possible. Yeah. What what do we do now? I think it's it's a challenge and I think it's necessary to point out that it's a challenge with a parameter that we haven't really discussed yet because as UXs, we tend to... Uh, develop and maintain our learnings through our networks and our networks are are not nationally bound. So I'm sitting here in Melbourne, you two are in Sweden. Uh, I assume people will listen to this from all over. I am invested in my local national uh, body of of UX uh, practitioners, but I'm equally invested in what people are doing in other nations. Having said that, accrediting bodies do tend to be nation-based. So would it make sense to have a single international body uh, for UX uh, practitioners? Is that a model that uh, sufficiently recognizes and represents the levels of cultural diversity that we get across 
different environments. And I know if you look at uh, Japanese web design, for example, to westernize, it looks very cluttered uh, and full of stuff. People prefer it that way. They, they like it more over there. There's a different set of competencies that are required for putting together something that suits those sensibilities and navigation practices. So if the question is, do we need a single international standard, that would make me very wary because a single international standard would always be reflective of the cultural practices of the nation, of the nations of the people who built it. And it, there's a risk of it becoming monolithic. But at the same time, if we only have national accrediting bodies, there's a chance of division. There's a chance of uh, in- incompatibility, non-transferability. That's the kind of issue that really affects uh, nurses and teachers who try to migrate from country to country and find that their qualifications aren't recognized in, in other places. So I think that's the question that would come to me first is how does scope fit into accrediting questions do we need one standard do we need national standards do we need region standards should they be related to each other these are all questions that I don't think have yet been fully addressed even by people who are enthusiastic about accreditation like I am. Those are really good points. And Mm. it all circles back to what you said at the beginning, doesn't it, about trust. Mm. Because maybe you'll be able to trust someone closer to you in your local community Mm. before you can trust an international body. Mm. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Mm. but you do start, I mean, yeah, so many things start at home. Mm. So Mm. so your local scene, design scene, um, Mm. is is definitely somewhere where we can, Mm. we should be, talking about these things regularly mm. um, and mm, mm. massaging our brains and trying to work out what, what are the, the concrete next steps. Mm. Mm. Um, although mm. I, although I, do, I do feel that international um, recognition or licensing is, is what we will, we should be heading for because mm. of the, the way, like you said, the way that we are uh, very much an international community mm. Mm. Um, with local differences. And I think even though there are noticeably variable differences like Japan or, or, or um, parts mm. of the like Middle East and other parts of the world. I think the methods and tools that we use are international. I think we could get through that um, mm. without, mm. without dictating, without dictating you know, design, as in the, the, the mm. um, graphical design or interaction mm. design, or even information architecture schemas, you know, the, the data models. That mm. you can, the, we've got a big toolbox and I think we could. I think we could license that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think that there is uh, an aspect of this uh, which does actually tie towards um, business, business and training as well. Uh, one of the interesting attributes of assessment uh, is that assessment content. Uh, or uh, assessment content is a dreadful way of phrasing it, the um, accessible practices, they're always uh, standard. So if you imagine a student at the end of school sitting down to do one of those awful exams that they give at the end of school, every single piece of paper uh, is identical. And if they're not identical, then the assessment in that context is invalid. However, once the students have sat down and they've filled it in, every piece of content is unique. So if you have a standardized set of uh, 
demonstrable competencies, you could potentially have that as being available for free. You could potentially have that as being uh, infinitely uh, able to be replicated and circulated and, and not necessarily pose too many intellectual property constraints on it. If the work that people are submitting to be assessed is always unique. So if you, if you think of demonstration of competency um, as being its own entity, then the business of providing accreditation becomes much more interesting and potentially much more open. If you can ask what you need for free, but charge for saying to somebody, yes, you have demonstrated that you've understood. Right. So, yes. Yeah, so you get, yeah. So you're assessed for free, but accredited mm. for a cost. Yeah. Well, actually, that's one of the that's one of the big business models that goes behind the um, MOOC massive online. Oh, I can't remember what it stands for. Uh, MOOCs are kind of falling by the wayside now. They were really, really interesting uh, for a little while. So these are big courses run online by massive online. Not lost it uh, by the universities. A lot of those actually had a pay for pay for qualification model. So you could sit oh, the yeah yeah, right. yeah you could sit the entire course. Mm. Uh, you could even get marks mm. if the uh, if the marks were machine mm. if the work was machine markable. Doesn't really apply mm. in, in a UX context. Um, but if you wanted a piece of paper that said you'd achieved the learning, that was the the saleable object. Mm. Mm. Wow, uh, <laughs> so much interesting stuff, Zoe and. Uh, it feels like we sort of touched upon the surface only, but it seems like the three of us are in agreement that this is sort of an inevitable way that we're going down, that we have to need, we have, we need accreditation of some sort in the future. I think we do. And not mm-hmm. least, we, we haven't said this explicitly, but mm-hmm. I, I think this is just so important. I, what I would like uh, on top of everything else, outside of us communicating our competencies within our community, I, I would like a way for clients to be able to know with confidence that the thing that that weird person came in and did for six weeks was the right thing. You know, we have so many clients out there at the moment who had somebody who was really happy and smiling and came in and, and, and put some personas on the wall, and, but didn't actually deliver that much value and they don't know how to assess it. And alternatively, yeah. you get grumpy people who come in and actually do superb work, uh, but don't get recognized for it because our, our clients themselves don't have an easily accessible way of understanding what we do when we're doing it properly. You know, we've, yeah. we've got some people who are delivering work that is not at the standard it should be uh, and not getting recognized for that. And some people delivering sta- work that's at a superb standard, but mm. they're not getting recognized for that either. And this I, strikes me as being an imminently solvable problem. Mm. Oh, yeah. I said, no, no, it makes me think about your tweet the other day, Per. Uh, oh, we, we do have to wrap up, but I just want to just finish <laughs> off with that, that. I know that Per um, talked this week about mm. how um, and I have the same experience that a lot of time when we're doing our consultant mm. work, mm. we get bought, we get hired mm. with a particular label, mm-hmm. and then the value we deliver mm. is in a completely different area. Yeah. I was going to bring this up in the outro, but this actually happened oh, yesterday. Yeah. Mm. That a person came into a meeting that I was in, and they said, "So what are you, Pat? What are you?" 
because he wanted a label for me because yeah. he knew I was providing value and people were asking for me all the time. Mm. So obviously clients were recognizing that I was providing value uh, without actually having a tool set for, for doing that. Mm. But they did not know what I was. Am I an interaction designer, front-end developer, mm. researcher? Uh, am I a facilitator of workshops? Yes, all of the above. But, but it's so hard for them because obviously what they were do trying to do place me in some compartment so that they could recruit more of me. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and I think, and that's what, that is the challenging thing that they do have uh, clients. They, they want to find, if they see something mm. good, they want to find more of the same. Mm. And of course, if you have some of, sort of accreditation for that, mm. then you can find more of the same because then you can tick some boxes and see, does that person actually fit those? Yeah, they, yeah. they hired a spanner. Oh, no, that actually sounds <laughs> awful. They, 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 they hired a hammer. Okay, I'll change it to that. You're not a spanner, Per. They, 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 hired, they hired a hammer, but they got a toolbox. Yeah. Back to the toolbox yes, analogy. Yes, exactly, yes. So if you, if you accredit, it, if you, accredit um, you as a hammer, they're never going to be allowed to get the toolbox. Mm. And... I know this is it's, it's so no, fascinating yeah, it's so interesting yeah, and I'm true. really really glad Zoe mm. that you joined us to talk about mm. it because this is this is only a starting mm. point mm. or a continuation of something yes. that we've already started I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next thank you Zoe thank you so much for having oh. me so I like how Zoe acknowledges in the end how complex this is I mean we sort of say it's inevitable but also how do we even start? I mean, that, that's, that's the <laughs> really tough cookie to solve. I'm, I'm just feeling that the more I think about it, the harder it becomes, because as we were saying in the end, towards the end, that there are so many different things that we bring to the table. How do we define all those things when we are always talking about innovating and, and changing the way we do stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's a year, it's a year since we, we tried to go through and Susan um, about the topic of licensing or accreditation, and and I don't feel I personally don't feel I'm any uh, any closer to to being confident that we're on a path to getting us there. I still I'm still really believing that we need something. Yeah, and we didn't talk we didn't talk a whole lot. I mean, regulation is one aspect. I think we need some way for people who are getting hurt to report the people who are hurting them. And if the people who are hurting them are the designers indirectly. But that's also what she was saying. It's, it's, I mean, how do you even trace back to who was the person who was hurting you? So then you'd actually be able, you'd, you'd have to document to be able to retrace the steps to understand who was the designer responsible for hurting someone. Was it designer? Was it the was it the coder? Was it some sysadmin? I mean, it could be absolutely any part of the puzzle. Right. Or, does, or was or it does, a manager? Or do you have, need one person in the project responsible for signing off? We have made every possible taken every possible step to ensure that people aren't getting hurt but then even if there was a, a, a mechanism to report mm. um designs that do mm. bad mm. then you've got to be aware it's happening to you and we're in as an industry we're using mm. so much more kind of um you know persuasion and, and behavioral psychology oh, yeah. and and mm. almost you know we're making sure mm. that you don't realize what's going on mm. so then you're not even going to know mm. that something's happened so you can't blame us because it's, 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 but it's, but oh, I, I, tru I truly believe people are becoming more aware. 
very much thanks to stuff happening like Cambridge Analytica, and people are understanding that maybe something is going on here that I should be paying attention to. But oh, absolutely. But at the same time, some of the when you get into the high, high level stuff with like the, the example with Facebook and the manipulation of, mm. of the, the micro targeting, mm. um, then that's happening. That can happen in a way which is very difficult for you as an individual to to understand. I know there's been some talk mm. about um, opening up information and and making sure um, these organisations like mm. Facebook um, publicise. Uh, oh, rather, they they make it available for you to find out who what whose companies are behind these kind of targeting ads, what they've done, what data mm. have they used for that targeting. Yeah. This is what I'm trying to say with that. Um so yes we're gonna be open. Um but but I, I mean there's so many aspects there's so many aspects of this. We've got <laughs> I, I, we don't know one of the one of the crucial problems is mm. that like I said, we're we're you know, you, you, you order a hammer from you and they get a toolbox. Mm. Um but you know we're at that situation when half the time we haven't even really agreed on the definition of a hammer. No. And the hammer's definitely not the right tool for every job. But I believe we can do it because we are innovators at heart. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I believe that we, yeah, I believe there'll be something out there. But yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just fearful of the amount of calendar time I think this might take to solve. And that's what Zoe was saying. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt it's a lot. It's going to hurt and it's going to take generations. To, exactly. It's going to take generations. But we have to keep our eye on the benefits yeah. of it. I'm now reminded of... Mm. of what um, Lisa Welshman yeah. said to us a few years ago yeah. when we talked to her about governance, mm. web, web governance, digital governance. Mm. Um, and she just said, look, our, our industry is just an unruly teenager. We're yeah. still in the teenage years. It's exactly. a very young industry. And we've got a lot of work to get us through these teenage years. Mm. And what Zoe's talking about, what we're talking about with credit accreditation mm. is part of those growing pains. Very true. And it's going to be tough. This is actually one of those episodes where I would love to hear more from our listeners. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think. And, and email us if a Twitter's not your thing on hey at uxpodcast.com. As usual, uh, show notes are on the website. Check out uh, Zoe's article. And uh, remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Cash who? Yes, I always knew you were a bit nutty. <laughs>